electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, remembering David Stern, the man who changed the basketball game. He ran the NBA in what I would call the... Uh, Iron fist inside a velvet glove. Bob Johnson, founder of BET and the first black majority owner of an NBA team, speaks to Stern's legacy in sports and beyond. Stores rolling back e-cigarette sales only go so far, says the man who ran the FDA, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The damage has been done. This gained fashion among children. And strife among Googlers. Journalist Joanne Lippmann on the veterans of the company who are pining for the original days of alphabets, don't be evil culture. The mood was more like disappointment with something you love. But it's really morphed, it seems, since then from disappointment to hostility. We've got those stories and a lot more. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. 2020. 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. I have a really good Barbara Walters. Yeah, uh, I knew exactly. Because you watch you watch Ryan Seacrest. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Twenty three. They played a hundred of those. I know. I was like, stop, make it stop, make it. How stop. many of the musicians have you ever heard of or seen before? I didn't watch that much because I fell asleep and woke up oh, to watch the ball drop. No, I watched. I do like. I, I got to say, I don't know about the ink everywhere because I can't really see what he looks like post Malone, but I, I, he's really good. He's really talented. Did you see that? No. Okay. Markets are up. About. Sorry. It's not 2020. Sorry. It's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, we are in 2020. So it's fair. We are in 2020. Good morning, yeah. everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is out today. First up today, the United States is stepping up military presence by hundreds of troops in the Middle East after two days of violent protests in Baghdad. Iraqi protesters have withdrawn from the perimeter of the U.S. embassy compound there. A U.S. military spokesman said the embassy is now completely surrounded by security forces. Yesterday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo postponed a planned trip to Ukraine to deal with the ongoing developments uh, out of Baghdad. Uh, You know, the people that I follow on Twitter and that somehow get to me, um, it's an unfortunate situation. The the embassy is scorched. It was a big response from the Trump administration, starting with a lot of Marines, a lot of paratroopers, a lot of people deployed. And as a result, you know, some people were talking about it being overkill. But as a result, I don't we didn't you know, it was not the same situation as Benghazi. And my people say at least someone picked up a phone when the ambassador called that he needed help. At least this time around, someone was there to actually respond and come in and do what was necessary. I don't think the ambassador was there. He had been away. No, I know. But you know what I mean. That that our people that are in peril, you know, it it wasn't a... I don't know what happened at Benghazi, but we didn't do those people any any services, any any good at that point, right? I mean, we got no one, no no one came. They were on their own. You've seen the movie, right? It's horrible what, what finally happened. But in this case, overwhelming force, and it's a better outcome. 
seems like, right? I do it see some weird. Uh, what's that? It certainly appears that way. Yes, this is <laughs> okay. not the same situation where you had lives lost. Right. And new details are emerging today over how former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn managed to skip out on bail in Japan and escape to Lebanon. I think it was like thirteen million dollars. He's like, ah, okay, not a lot for me. Uh, Phil LeBeau joins us now. That's part of the uh, part of the whole point, I guess. Phil, do you do you know was it a, a base case or a harp case? Do you know anything? You got any details <laughs> on that? Well, and and then the report was that they said, well, that's not how he got out of the country. Look, there are more. Weird stories out there about how Carlos Ghosn was out uh, was able to get out of Japan. Then there are stories that have been actually confirmed by anybody. Because half the time you hear a report come out, and then a couple of hours later, well, that's not true. Somebody close to the Ghosn family says that's not true. So here's what we do know this morning regarding Carlos Ghosn's situation. And you can bet there will be more details over the next couple of days and more developments over the next couple of days. Let's start first off with Japan. Scrutiny there about how they were able to allow a guy under house arrest who had cameras, who had officers outside of his house, how they allowed him to get out of the country. They, By the way, they raided his house there uh, today. The French government's in an awkward position. Yes, he is a French citizen. At the same time, the French government owns part of Renault, which is part of the Nissan-Renault alliance, which is very fragile right now. So how do they play this? And then you have Carlos Ghosn. He was welcomed in Beirut earlier this week. We did get a statement from Carlos Ghosn earlier this, earlier this week where he said, I have not fled justice. I have escaped injustice and political persecution. I can now finally communicate freely with the media and look forward to starting next week. Exactly when we might hear from Carlos Ghosn next week remains to be seen. But here's the timeline. Think about it from Carlos Ghosn's perspective. Now, this is not saying what he did was correct or was right, but just from his perspective. He was arrested on November 19th. And yes, then he was stripped of his job with Nissan. Then he was indicted. But generally speaking, over the last 13 months, he has had limited, almost no conversations with his family, with his wife. And as a result, he clearly felt that the best move for him was to get out of that country. If you take a look at shares of Nissan Renault, we have yet to hear a formal comment from the company regarding Carlos Ghosn skipping bail and getting out of Japan. And the stock down 35% since his arrest back in November of 2018. It's a wild story, guys. And Perhaps the more, one of the more interesting things, Joe, is that you get these reports that are then denied, and then you get another wild report. I mean, these are all the little details that yeah. are going to be sorted the out. Family's over the family's not week necessarily or so. going to confirm anything, right? Like, they may be shooting Correct. down some of these things, but I'm not sure that they would tell the truth anyway about what Correct. happened. It's not like they're saying, here's how he got out. Correct. And that's why when Carlos Ghosn talks next week, I doubt that he is going to shed any details about exactly. The plan to get him out, how it was executed, in part because they probably want to protect the people who helped, who helped them, them right. in Japan. Look, right. they didn't do this completely without some help in Japan. Yeah, so they clearly had to have some. So I don't, I don't know if it was with you last week, but I kind of danced around not actually saying I would have done the same thing if they treated me like that. I didn't really say that, but I, that's sort of what I was feeling after watching the whole saga, right? I mean, right. it's hard not to think... That he was treated very well, okay? And I, I don't know, but I, like I said, I don't know the details of the accusations, but here it is. They just spell it out in the journal. It's the, the, the headline in the journal, or at least they, they took out of, the, out of the piece in the op-ed page, obviously. It's hard to blame him for fleeing Japan sure. after his ill treatment. And then it says, 
they go on to say it's been a fiasco from the start, from a dubious start, the whole saga. The best way for justice to be served now would be for truth about the accusations to emerge, for Gone to get his reputation back if the evidence is as weak as it seems, and they even go on to say for Japan to reform its justice system and corporate governance so they're more appropriate for the modern free market economy. So, journal I don't think anybody would I, Joe, I don't think anybody would disagree with that opinion or those opinions that you just read this there. This guy skipped Nobody out on bail and we're on his this. side. I mean, that's rare. You know what I mean? But right, right. That, but at that, the same time, now that now the, that's why I think the most interesting sort of side angle here, how does France play this? Right, because and- on one point, it is one of their citizens, and they were critical of how Japan was handling Carlos Ghosn. Yet on the other hand, they can't be too critical because they own part of Renault, and this Nissan-Renault relationship, incredibly fragile right now. I mean, it's on the cusp well, of falling apart. Phil, the, the, I guess the question becomes, does, is Carlos Ghosn ever able to leave Lebanon? Is he, is he kind of oh, yeah. stuck that, there that, Well, that that's, a great the that's a great question. That's a great question. Look, he's got citizenship in uh, 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 Lebanon, Brazil. Uh, Brazil, and France. Right. So theoretically, he could go to one of those countries... Um, I'm not sure what the extradition treaty is. I don't know what the extradition is, treaty is. There right. is one between between Brazil and Japan, uh, but it is an, it's an interesting question that you that you raise here. And then the other question that comes up is: Will he ever be able to truly get his reputation back in terms of saying, "Look, here are the facts. This is what happened. This is what was not <coughs> laid out by the Japanese authorities," or is the fact that he escaped? and skip bail, will that always be the one story that people are going to focus on? And this other story, which is incredibly important, that whether or not he uh, misreported or did not fully report tens of millions of dollars in compensation, um, will that ever truly come out? Thank you, Phil. Thank you. you Thank you. You're, you know, between Boeing and and NIS (laughs) and Tesla and everything else, you... uh, It was a fun fun Christmas break. Former NBA commissioner David Stern has died at the age of 77. Stern suffered from a brain hemorrhage three weeks ago. He led the NBA for 30 years, the longest tenure of any major U.S. sport, and is credited with transforming the league from 23 teams struggling to make a profit into the multi-billion dollar global brand it is today. Join us now on the Squawk Newsline, Bob Johnson, founder and chairman of RLJ Companies. Bob was the first black owner of an NBA team. Uh, the Charlotte Bobcats back in 2003 sold his majority stake, as you probably know, to Michael Jordan uh, in 2010. And you heard Eric and, and all of our discussions, Bob. What, 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 what are your recollections about the man, uh, David Stern himself? Well, p- well personally, uh, I would say David uh, you know, guided me both in terms of advice and enthusiasm about becoming the first African-American owner of any national sports league team. And to me, that was, that was exciting. And having, and when I served on the Board of Governors, the NBA, yeah, the one thing everybody, yeah, the 30 owners in those meetings with David knew who was in charge. He, he ran the NBA in what I would call the uh, iron fist inside a velvet glove. But he he really believed in what he set out to do with the NBA, whether it was on the issue of of the number of African American players in the league and African Americans in ownership positions, African American in management positions. 
and he had a vision about where the NBA could go globally. And uh, I, I tell you, I've, I've never uh, been involved with a, a business executive who was so confident in the asset, if you will, that he had. That was the NBA. Uh, that uh, you could have an NBA board meeting, uh, 30 owners would vote nay, David would vote I, the eyes have it. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about how he changed the league's fortunes to such an extent, and Charles Barkley w- was uh, talking very recently about this, about how when he joined the league back in 1984, the average player salary was $250,000, and today it's $9 million. Obviously, the owners' fortunes went up in a similar way, but it, it, it's kind of hard to, to go back to think about where the league was when he stepped into the role in 83 or 84. Yeah, it's hard to think about it because, uh, you know, I heard the earlier commentary about whether or not fans and sponsors would accept uh, a league with African-American players throughout the, uh, throughout the game. Because the one thing David would told me, say, Bob, you know, when, when our teams play, it's different from football. A football player, the closest football player is some 30 yards from the nearest fan up in the, up in the uh, stadium. Uh, and they have a helmet on, nobody recognizes them. Our players are within two feet of every fan. And so when you think of African Americans playing in a place where fans are white and they're seeing them and their style and their behavior, uh, David recognized that as something that could be a, a social issue, particularly if behavior of the players or stress style of the players uh, was used by people who wanted to make an argument about uh, the, the style, nature, competitiveness, brilliance, if you will, of, of African-American ball players. Uh, David recognized that. He dealt with it with the uh, dress code. He dealt with it with the way you couldn't express your your accomplishments on the court, the, the choking uh, you know, signal. All of these things, David was so sophisticated and so aware of, of what he had to do to make the league acceptable, not, both nationally and globally, that uh, I can't think of a, another industry that's had to deal with a business model dominated by African American talent, yeah. uh, and so that was that was what was unique and so special about David. Uh, and he was he he ran the league the way he believed the league should be run, and I think every owner has benefited from player contracts to. Uh, the terms and conditions of TV rights. Yeah, I mean, the moral compass was, was so steady the entire time. And, and 30 years is a long time, Bob, in the history of this country in terms of, of race relations and, and how... Tur- I mean, we're still, we still have some turbulence now, it, 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 obviously. And he, he was way ahead of the whole curve on all that stuff, right? No, he, he was. And personally, for me, he said, look, I want you to be the first African-American owner of a sports league, and, right? and uh, I'm going to guide you through. I mean, and that was... That was was David. He did it with the women's league, the WNBA. Uh, he really, he really saw saw the future uh, going to China. And uh, one thing David used to say when this was a time when reality shows were coming on television, every play, every network had a reality show. David would say to both the, the the owners in the league, he said, every night 
our games are reality show. Right. You don't know how it's going to end. Thank you. Appreciate the, the, well, the call in today. Happy New Year, you guys, happy and I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, great. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the FDA plans to ban the sale of fruity flavors in e-cigarette cartridges as soon as this week. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who ran the regulator, joins us. Are they bad actors? Did they intentionally go after this youth market and try to get kids addicted to nicotine? Well, certainly when you look at Juul's historical practices, I believe so. Juul still owns the kid market. 60% of all kids who are vaping are using Juul. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. The Trump administration is set to announce a ban on flavored e-cigarette cartridges. White House officials tell CNBC that menthol and tobacco flavors will be exempt and that the new ban won't apply to tank vaping systems that are commonly found at vape shops. It's an effort to try and curb teen vaping. Analysts say that the sweet and fruity flavors represented about 80 percent of retail store e-cigarette sales in 2019. President Trump is expected to formally make that announcement tomorrow. But joining us right now to talk about the ban and some big unanswered questions is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is the former FDA commissioner. He's also a CNBC contributor and a board member at Pfizer. And Scott, it's great to see you. Thanks a lot. So we've been talking about this for a long time. You have been an advocate of making sure these flavors got banned. But what happened with menthol? Is that a step back from the White House? Well, look, it's a modest step. It's going to have an impact. But I think we're really going to be dependent upon Tobacco 21, the new age restrictions really to try to quell this youth epidemic. The policy they announced effectively freezes the market as it is. Um, Juul, the market leader and the number one product used by kids, already pulled all their flavors off the market. This ban just affects the cartridge-based products, so products like Juul and Views and Enjoy. And effectively what's going to happen now is Enjoy and Views, Views with their Ace device, Enjoy with their Alto device, actually I think that's backwards, they're now going to have to pull their flavored pods like Juul did. You, for a long time, had, had said that menthol probably shouldn't be there either, right? right. Menthol should also get pulled. What, what happened? What's behind the scenes? What's well, look, there? I think the, the issue with the menthol is people worry about adult smokers using combustible products that are mentholated and not having the option to switch to a non-combustible product to an e-cigarette. So you want to leave the menthol on the market as an option for adult smokers. Um, I think the issue that we need to remember is this just affects the cartridge-based products. When you go into a convenience store, if you're a kid, you're still going to be able to find loose e-liquids, flavored e-liquids. What we sought to do in March of 2019 was withdraw all the flavored products from the convenience stores where the kids are getting access to those products. This is still going to leave the flavored e-liquids in little bottles in those stores. Explain that to me. I don't don't understand that. So they're banning e-cigarette cartridges, but not the... Not the liquids. Not the liquids. Right. So kids can still go in, buy this, get access? to it? That's right. So uh, what's happening now, if you go Not on YouTube... Not just menthol, it's any flavor. Right, any flavor. So if you go on YouTube, you'll see how-to videos on how to basically refill these pods with flavored e-liquids that you can buy in stores. So one option was to withdraw the liquids entirely, all the flavored liquids from the convenience stores where kids are getting them and just just segregate them to the adult-only vaping shops. Yeah, you've never had a problem with the vaping shops, right? Because they are pretty careful about who they let in the door. 
Some of them, most of them. I mean, they have a better record on the whole than the convenience stores. And I think with the new age restrictions at Tobacco 21, now they're going to be able to card up to 21. So that will help them keep kids out of those stores. It's really the convenience stores. You have to reduce the access and appeal of these products to kids. The appeal is the form and factor of Juul, the high nicotine buzz, but also the flavors. The access is through the convenience stores and also the social buying in the high schools, the 18-year-olds buying them for 16-year-olds. That's why Tobacco 21 is so important. One of the unanswered questions about this policy is how will it treat uh, disposable e-cigarettes? So something called Puff Bars is becoming very popular among kids right now. Juul is the most popular product, but Puff Bars is gaining on Juul. These are fully disposable e-cigarettes made in China, basically single-use items. I'm not sure how this policy is going to treat that because it talks about cartridge-based products. Why do you think the uh, restrictions are getting watered down from what the president had initially announced? Well, the reports are that there were political concerns about the impact on vaping stores. And look, I, was, I too, was sympathetic to the vaping stores because I do think that adult smokers are using the open tank products to convert off of combustible tobacco. So you want to provide some option for adults, right, to stop smoking. But, you know, I would have been, frankly, more aggressive on the pod-based products and withdrawn them all from the market. I think Juul, Views, Enjoy, those should come off the market entirely. I don't think, given the youth use, they have enough redeeming public health value. Are, Are they bad actors? Did they intentionally go after this youth market and try to get kids addicted to nicotine? Well, certainly when you look at Juul's historical practices, I believe so. I think there were historical practices that targeted those products to kids. They've cleaned that up, um, but the damage has been done. This gained fashion among children. Where do we stand right now in terms of the addiction problem with kids who are getting addicted to nicotine and getting addicted to inhaling things into their lungs? It's growing. Look, and kids are also now vaping THC, the active ingredient in cannabis, because we've sort of popularized the notion of vaping um, vaping liquids altogether. Look, 2018, you saw a 78% increase. 2019, the data showed another 30% increase of youth use on top of that. So fully a third, almost a third of all kids are now using some form of nicotine vaping product. Kids Will age, go, what, what age? Under the age of 18. Will it go up again in 2020? If they can make rapid implementation of Tobacco 21, that's our best hope for, for stopping this epidemic. If they rapidly implement that and enforce it, Hopefully you can get this to level off and maybe decline 2020 because the restrictions on the flavors that they put in place basically just freezes the market as it is. It's a, it's a real boon to Juul because it forces Juul's competitors to now conform to what Juul already did. So this helps Juul quite a bit. They'll gain market share as a result of this policy. You think this policy is toothless, though, in terms of trying to stop the addiction? I think it's incremental. I think the biggest impact right now is going to be from Tobacco 21. You could have gone further. They, they chose to take a step back. Um, you know, it will take Enjoy and Views and some of the other products that are gaining market share, like Puff Bars, hopefully off of the market in flavored forms that are attractive to kids. Mm-hmm. But Juul still owns the kid market. 60% of all kids who are vaping are using Juul. You say they've stopped their bad practices. But if 60% of the kids are using Juul, what should that company actually be doing to try and make sure that its products are not handing, uh, ending up in kids' hands? Well, I think it should come off the market. I mean, when you have a single product that has that high of a violation rate, they've demonstrated they can't control access to their product and they should come off the market. There's a regulatory basis to do that. So they could have taken selective action against Juul, in my opinion, and had the legal basis to do that. They could have taken selective action against all the pod-based products as a category and pulled them all off the market and just left the open tank systems on the market. They chose to do what they did, presumably if you believe the reports, which is just ban the flavored cartridges that go in those products, that will have an impact 
it will be incremental. It's not going to have a, a significant impact on the market because really all you're affecting is views and enjoy and some of these niche products like puff bars. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. It's great Thanks to see Next on Squawk Pod, former Googlers are speaking out about the culture inside the nearly trillion-dollar company, and the ongoing internal controversies at Alphabet may take a toll on recruiting new talent. Media journalist Ed Lee. In Silicon Valley, it's not just the pay, it's the, the company you work for. You not only have to sell them on the salary, you have to sell them on the mission. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Straight up on Becky. Three, two, one, up on Becky. Cue. We're going to talk tech right now and specifically some emerging strife inside Alphabet's Google division. Veterans of the company are now saying that it's become unrecognizable from what it once was. Deidre Bosa is here. She's got more on that story. And Deidre, good morning. Good morning and happy New Year's, guys. Well, next year, one of Alphabet's biggest challenges will come from within its own walls, and that is the culture war that's really been seen building over the last three years. The company has been mired with controversies around hate speech, sexual harassment, employee walkouts. A part of this in transformation that, as Becky said, some veterans say have left the company unrecognizable. A lot of it has to do with its size. Google has scaled to more than 100,000 workers. Things that have worked very well over the last two decades, they know may, may no longer be so straightforward. And remember, this company is worth nearly a trillion dollars now. Few of them, weekly all-hands meetings where workers could openly and aggressively challenge executives. They also used to allow anyone to access nearly any internal document. So that's all been scaled back. But with less transparency and a workforce raised on that unofficial motto, don't be evil, the controversies are piling up and employees are pushing back. There was Project Dragonfly, a secret plan to develop a censored search engine. Remember Android co-founder Anthony Rubin, his golden parachute after sexual misconduct claims were found credible. The canceled AI ethics board. Now those incidents and more resulting in walkouts and rallies as some employees battle to, quote, save Google's open culture. All of this, guys, all of this internal conflict, it doesn't look to be going anywhere. And it'll now all be on CEO Sundar Pichai to manage it as we head into 2020. Guys, it's not just this culture war, it's political scrutiny. A slower advertising business is going to be a challenging one for Google. <laughs> Are you like me? Uh, is that, is that, do you have, uh, do we have something? Did I get it from you? From I don't know. No. Uh, but do you, you're dealing with yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. 
but we're here. Uh, or is that good that we, she does it? Everybody on this side of the table, hold your breath. Yes. Uh, I can hear it. Uh, anyway, thanks. Uh, how long does it last? It's been two weeks. You t- I don't know. I've never. You tried Tamiflu or anything? I'm trying everything. What's your secret? <laughs> Honey water, cough right. drops. Let's expand our conversation. Maybe uh, Ed Lee or, or Joanne, the, the, the tea, hot tea. Do you have it? Oh, no, that's not how we're expanding <laughs> it. Ed Lee is New York Times corporate media reporter. Joanne Lippman, distinguished journalism fellow at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. They're both uh, CNBC contributors. Let's not talk about it. Let's talk about Google. And you heard, uh, I think. I love Google. I love all our big tech companies. I, I, I think this needs you to be... You use Google, right? Yeah. I, I use Google Maps. I, I, it's free. I just... I, I, 2019 was the year of looking a gift horse in the mouth. And, and, you know, the rest of the world looks at us. And if they had one Facebook, they had one Google, if they had, if they had developed one thing since SAP, they'd be happy. But they don't have it. Can't we... It's really not just about 2019. I mean, as Deirdre pointed out, this has been going on before. I mean, I was actually on the Google campus. I happened to be giving a Google talk on November 1st of 2018, which was the day of the walkout over that $90 million payout to Andy Rubin for sexual harassment to make him go away. And what's really interesting to me is to see there's been a transformation. So, so at that moment, so I was in the middle of these thousands of people um, at headquarters, and the walkout, the employees at that moment, it was the, the mood was more like disappointment with something you love, with an institution mm-hmm. that you love. But it's really morphed, it seems, since then from disappointment to hostility. Is this going to make it tougher for Google or Alphabet to be able to hire top talent? I think that's a great question because you had people who deeply love the com- company and love that don't be evil um, kind of concept. And now you have, um, I hear it from younger people who have concerns about being um, affiliated with Google because... I mean, having said that, the stock has taken off. If you're but it's also, stock and that's been a big part of not just for Google, but for Facebook as well. Like, in Silicon Valley, it's not just the pay. It's the, the company you work for. They, they firmly believe in the mission, the direction, the product that they create. So you not only have to sell them on the salary, you have to sell them on the mission. You can't lower the, the common denominator to the woke millennial Bernie Sanders supporter that has a problem with the profit incentive in general. They're working for a company that they wish would, would, would not would I give you everything up I think so that there's nothing left over. And, and goodness. But you, is all I'm saying want. is that the common denominator in today's world with some, of, with some young people, you're right. never going to get that woke if you're at a for-profit business. And to try to satisfy the wokeness of this new generation that's been told all this wacky stuff, you're never going to do it. You know, that's a leadership issue. You're never going to do it's it. It's a leadership issue. You're absolutely right. How much do you want to kowtow to your uh, millennial The lowest employees? common denominator. The so- I would there not are say socialists. Lowest. 70% think socialism is okay. I wouldn't say lowest common denominator. I would say you've got a new generation Look. that has a very different outlook well, about what they're looking for. And not only that, but a job. Google was able to do it for so long. This is really a problem that's arisen over the last three years. So they have been able to be quite successful by doing the right thing. That is all changing. I mean, they were well, I, in bed with the Democrat Hillary in the last election. How much more woke I think do you having, want your, your... They cried and had a corporate 
district meeting to try to help soothe everyone's feelings when Hillary didn't get elected. How much but, more woke do you need to get? But they have an issue. For example, they have been under scrutiny by the Labor Department for underpaying women. They have an issue where they don't have transparency, where what they're paying women, um, minorities, um, ethnic minorities. And so I knew you were going to get to that. I knew you would get to that. So this is not her issue. True. This is an issue that's already been okay. aired out. By the, let me the let me let me change gears to, to, to another thing that uh, that I talk about. And that okay, the, the Iger is. Are we going to canonize him? Uh, You're talking about Bob Iger and Disney. How and, awesome and, and the movie is. is okay, of the here's great my work point. That here's Bob my Iger only point. Here's my only point. Okay. Disney last year uh, was up thirty one point nine percent. Okay, from January second. This is a variety piece. Comcast up thirty two percent. What what is that? Geez, that is that's a ten. Okay, so tied. Let's call it. Discovery. Do we talk about Zaslav and Discovery? Uh, just that, that Zaslav does a great job, too. Okay. You, nothing. And, and you know what some people say, though? And, and Okay, so let's see. Where was uh, Discovery was up uh, 32.3%. AT&T up 37%. And there, that's kind of, there's some specific. Nice stock with a good dividend. And, and, and it, yeah. was, it was hurt in 2018, obviously. I, so I think I had, the credit that Bob is getting, that, that you're sort of wondering about your, your no, clients he's, he's a great executive, which is always but, good but to do. We, we should mention other people as well. It shouldn't be oh, all Disney, all Iger all the time. I think the, it, Iger is mentioned in the context of, well, he took this very well-established, very well-run media company, right. use it, doing it in sort of the traditional way, and decided, you know what, we're going to s- scrap this thing the way we've been doing it, which is linear television, and we're going to go all in on streaming, which has lower to no margins in a lot of cases. And he actually told Wall Street, look, don't expect profits for the next 35 years, uh, and right. this is hopefully where we'll get. And so after day one, they actually released some numbers, 10 million new signups within the first day. That's actually right. pretty astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how many of those are free signups, but um, the point is there's a lot of interest. Viacom, was but, da- Viacom CBS was down 4%. But AMC it's, it's was down 28%. The fundamental change of their business model, I think that is what... Disney. Arguably, right. People arguably the that, credit uh, that, that he's... By owning all your IP globally, that's what Discovery and Disney... And he started did. that from way back when he bought Pixar and then Lucasfilm and Marvel. And I but think Joe, you also raise a really interesting point, which really? is he has been canonized and he is, he is the top, right? And so where right. do you go from here? And here we are at the very beginning of 2020. What's it gonna, what, is, what will Disney look like in the coming year? And, and how does he top the year he has just had? Uh, apparently... They may make a movie this year that's not a sequel. I, it's just in the it's just in the works right now. It's just they're just talking about it. It's not for sure. So but don't it's, get it's your working, up. right? All those huh? sequels have been working. They basically own I'm the box office. See, unless I, I will see a Halloween well, sequel. But do you have Disney Plus? Of course. There you go. There, if well, you also, have it, right? There you go. So what are we talking? Well, the best performing stock of the last decade has been Netflix, right? So it's moving forward. All we can yeah. talk about is streaming. And of all the CEOs you've just listed in companies, I mean, Disney's the most talked about, at least of the last few months, thanks to Baby Yoda and some other characters. Yeah, also, that's, come on, Baby Yoda, right? Iger, under Iger's sort of reign, Baby Yoda. That's your, that's your, that's going to be my Baby Yoda. Yoda. It's amazing how much Baby Yoda appears in my own timeline, in my own household. I'm told Baby Yoda made an appearance on the Iger family Christmas card. God, you're going to be cabbage fat? I mean, that lasts like a, uh, it's, 
the that's, half-life that's of that is that, like three it's weeks. that intangible, right? Three that weeks. as a media executive, that's always been the hardest. I love part him. I, I like him. I just think that you know, that other people. Should I, get I some think it's good to be skeptical. Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm not skeptical. You. I'm not skeptical. I'm just saying, let's spread the love around. Right. If you have Disney Plus, I'm sorry, beyond Baby Yoda, you've got every. Not going to be five dollars or whatever it is for forever either. So yeah, we're going to see in this first report how that's working for yeah. them too. Maybe a rude at the awakening. moment they're they are poised is it, to be. Is it only how much is it? Is it five? How much is it? It's six and change. Yeah. You know, if you're buying it, uh, if you're I'd rather do. Smart companies do the advertise advertising mediated streaming. You're think, talking about a, the forthcoming streaming service from NBC, which Barry Diller liked. Not a homer. Which actually, as Netflix and Disney rise, there's fewer places for advertisers to put their stuff. So having something like a Peacock, I think, is probably. For advertising, Madison Avenue, they're looking forward exactly. to it. They want and then, that. And get something that. free. I don't want to. How many bills am I paying for all these things? There will be there will be a price tier oh, there no. too. And yeah, there will be a shakeout. Clearly, yes, there will. And, and people are going to have to raise prices too. But yes. we're getting more content. And, and, more content is good. It is good. All right. Thank you. I knew it. I knew you. <laughs> you know, the first day of 2020, you get woke uh, at some point, and you did. Thank you. I Thank can count you, on Joe. you. You're woke. It's my pleasure. Thanks, uh, and I hope you feel. Yeah, right. you too. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. But to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 